Young adulthood is confusing. Navigating the beginning of your career, exploring relationships, and trying to find a balance isn't easy. I'm Allie Dietz, and you're listening to Young Adult Path to Progress. My mission is to help young adults feel a little bit less alone, a little bit less confused, and hopefully inspired by the conversations they hear on this podcast. Welcome to my path. I hope I can help you find peace in yours. Welcome to another episode of Young Adult Path to Progress. I'm Allie Deeds, and I'm here with a dear friend of mine, Eleanor Lee. Hi. Hi, everyone. Eleanor is an entrepreneur, a photographer, like I said, a dear friend, and more than that, an inspiration. Oh, that's so kind. It's true. She has her own photography business, Meraki, and she previously owned a studio in Los Angeles for photography. And she just started a really cool activity and club here in Austin, Texas. Hot Girl Project. Okay. So I first, I want to get started out saying you're awesome. You know that you've been a huge inspiration. When I was navigating, trying to start my own business, start the podcast studio, was just such a supportive friend. And we recently found out that we have the same Enneagram type. Personality type. Myers-Briggs. And like, that's the best compliment. So she's great. And I'm so excited to bring her story to you guys because she's kicking ass. So can you go ahead and just get started about how you got into photography and talk about what your path has been? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, it's so cool to see you in your element. I love it. How I got into photography It's kind of a funky story. So in college, I was actually an athlete. I thought I was going to be a accountant. And it's hilarious because if you know me, I am the exact opposite of that. But I actually kind of got into toxic friend group within like the sports community. There was just a lot of drinking. And I found myself in a position where I kind of wanted to branch out and do my own thing. And I went to school in LA. So I actually started to go out and be inspired by Los Angeles. I followed a lot of lifestyle bloggers at the time. So I would go and I was really inspired by architecture and a lot of different things. And I would photograph it and kind of go out and kind of copy some of these lifestyle bloggers and go to some of the art exhibits. So at the time it was Alfred Coffee or like I would get excited about a latte that was like rainbow colored. It was hilarious. And then now I'm in food and beverage. So it makes sense. But I actually, because I knew so much about Los Angeles, got an internship with a lifestyle blogger and he, his business partner ended up being my mentor who ended up speaking into my life saying I should start a company by the age of 25, which was a huge pivotal moment for me. And that's kind of how I got into photography. I was never classically trained. I only took one photography course and it was photography of LA. So I would just go around LA taking pictures, makes sense. And I never, I never took a classic photography course, but I kind of taught myself everything and I have then got a job at Alfred Coffee doing their social media marketing and photography. And Josh, what a cool spot to do it. Very fun. It was during like their height peak season. I was doing a lot for Alfred Tea Room and for Alfred Coffee. And if you know Josh Zad, the owner, 
owns Collie Dodd Beer. He's a phenomenal creative and has taught me a lot just about composition and beverage photography. And so that's kind of how I got into it. Did you ever see yourself taking the entrepreneurship route? Never until my mentor, Michael, Mentioned sat me it. down. Yeah. And he was like, by the time you're 25, how old are you? I am 27 now, but I started my business at 23. Yeah. You started in Meraki when you were 23 and you opened Buka, which is the photography studio. I want to say 25. Okay. So you've owned and ran two different businesses. Yes. With partners for Buka and I had a business partner for Meraki for four years. Okay. And I want to talk about business partnerships later, but it's just interesting the way that your path took such a pivot, the way that your craft has built itself. So can you talk about what that process was like and how you stayed confident in the beginning of that? Because I mean, I mean, you posted something like, I don't know, a month ago on Instagram and you're like, my pictures when I... Oh my gosh. Yeah. When I first started versus now. Yeah. So can you just tell us a little bit about that process of learning the composition and did you have an eye for it at the beginning or was it something that you taught yourself? I have taught myself everything. I'm not going to sit here and tell you the first year and a half, two years were easy. Finding work and building that business was very hard. And there was times when I was making no money. There was times when I went completely broke, had to move back in with my parents. I think that was like year one of the business. I fell flat on my face, but I just didn't give up. And a lot of people would say that was foolish of me in terms of like, I did not make money for a good amount of time. I never went into debt, but I was not making money. I was very much paycheck to paycheck, barely making it by eating top ramen. You know how the stereotype of the starving artist. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I just loved what I did so much that there was no other option for me. And it's kind of, there was just no other way to go about it. After Michael spoke that to me, and I've only had a couple moments in my life where I just knew something had to be. One of them was when Michael spoke into my life and I knew I had to start a business. And one of them was actually moving to Austin, Texas. I just, you have that gut, gut, gut feeling where you just know you have to do something. So I definitely would say it was just perseverance and keeping at the art and continuing to grow. Yeah. And I look back and I'm like, I thought that photo was beautiful at the time. And now I'm looking at it like, oh my God, like here's all the things, here's I would all the things that was wrong. But yeah. I was confident in my work then and I'm confident in my work now. And I'm excited that I'll continue to grow in the future and you never stop evolving. Where do you think that confidence came from? I don't know. Um, therapy. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> Therapy is a good way to do it. Was that something that you think came from the mentorship that you had of having people behind you that supported you? It came from finding a community and team of people behind you. So I I think you are who you surround yourself with a lot of the time. And we have to give back to ourselves first and foremost. Like you need to be filling up your cup. You need to be like whatever works for you, meditating or praying or like really working on self-growth and loving yourself first. But for me, I had just such a supportive community and they were always just so encouraging in what I was doing that 
yes, there are people who are like, why are you doing this? But overall, I had a very supportive community. And if you weren't supportive, I kind of cut it. Had to cut it because you just, I actually saw a TikTok the other day. It was like, you won't know who your real friends are until you start a business. And I thought about it for so long because I was like, that is so So true. true because your real friends will come out and the people who do not support you will come to light. It's amazing. The anxiety, the stress, the pressure that you're putting on yourself when you're building a business. And you did it when you were 23. I think a lot of people don't talk about mental health and yeah. business enough. And I actually had to do a lot of therapy in the beginning of starting my business. It was a lot of self-growth. I had a lot of anxiety like during those first couple years. I had a couple panic attacks. It's definitely because you just care so much. And it's like your baby. There's so much on the line. It feels like a part it's of so you. Scary. It is scary. And I actually ended up getting on medication because it was really affecting my mental health for the first two years, which I know that's not the answer for everyone. But for me, I had some personal stuff that happened as well with my grandfather committing suicide. So I had that pairing with the pressure of my business. I ended up getting on medication. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot to handle. And now I have employees. So it's not only the pressure of me and myself, but it's can I support them and their dreams and pay their salaries every month. And so it's a lot of weight on your shoulders. When you first launched Meraki, so you had a business partner that you were working with. Mm -hmm. And how many clients were you working with that first year? Because that first year is when you said you were really struggling. You moved back in with your parents. You weren't making a ton of money. Can you kind of walk me through what that first year looked like? I took a lot of work for not much money. We did a lot of free projects. I know I never do work for free unless you need to build your portfolio. So we did a lot of portfolio building projects or reached out to brands that inspired us. We went to a lot of trade shows. We met founders face-to-face and we started getting some clients. I know I worked with Country Archer Beef Jerky on a retainer. I worked with Mush Overnight Oats on a retainer and Julie's Dates on a retainer. And they were some of my first clients. I think Rule Breaker Snacks. I had some smaller ones, True Women bars, but it was a lot smaller budget than I work with now. And now I'm a single founder versus having a business partner. You also cut your earnings in half as a having a business partner. Okay. Yeah. You have to, you know, share that money too. So I see more money now than I did when I had a partner. So you have to think like I was not only trying to make the money for me, but for both of us Mm -hmm. to survive. So when you guys founded Meraki, was it your baby and you brought somebody else on? So I always wanted to be a photographer, but Ray, my business partner, she's phenomenal. She actually found me on the street. It's definitely what I call a God story, but she found me on the street and was like, I've been looking everywhere for you. She's kind of like a serial entrepreneur in the best way. She just has so many creative ideas and she had had business partners in the past and it hadn't worked out. And she really wanted to build something creative and be creative. And she found herself in LA. She had moved from New York 
and found herself in LA and was kind of feeling a little bit lost in the job that she had. And so she ended up pitching me to be business partners and building this agency. And I was very creative. She was very business minded and it's what I needed at the time. I have that business minded brain, but I was so young. I just didn't even know what a pitch deck was. I'd never built a business before. And she had a lot of that back end. And she's also a phenomenal at keeping relationships. I've never met someone who is so good at relationship building. So in a partnership, what was great for us is we had different skill sets. Some, we were very similar in, in our taste and what we liked. And I think that's also super important that you have similar taste, but we were very different in our skill sets. We're both very creative, but in different ways. She was business minded yes. a little bit more than you were. And you're, you had the eye with photography. Yes. Is she a photographer as well? She is not a photographer. Okay. So you guys kind of, kind of had your own lanes. Yes. Okay. And is that something when it comes to looking for a good business partner, what would you recommend trying to find? So I think what worked with Ray and I, and there's another business partnership I love, which is Kennedy and Mary Ralph from Daily Drills. And I look at them and they're, it's a very similar to Ray and I where Kennedy is very executive and business minded and Mary Ralph's extremely creative. And I think Kennedy is also extremely creative, but in her own way. And I think they're a really good balance. And I think that's what Ray and I found for the first four years is we both had that balance to each other. Would you recommend when you're getting started out as a business owner to go the business partner route? I would, but I don't think everyone would answer that way. I think after going through a business breakup, I know that you don't always see eye to eye always and things don't always work out and that's hard. And I think some people are not willing to go through that splitting of assets and things not working out. So you have to be prepared for that. But for me, I have no regrets about my partnership. I thoroughly enjoy the four years I worked with Ray. I wouldn't go into a partnership again, at least for Meraki, but in some of my other endeavors, I definitely would. Yeah, I feel like having a partnership like that, having two different people who have those different skill sets can really bring a brand and a company to that next level. But I feel like it's so scary. Definitely. I also think it's a support system if you get it the right way that you're like, how did you keep going? I was like, well, I had Ray and we had each other and we got to support each other. And when I was down, she picked me up. And when she was down, I could pick her up. And that was really helpful for me. So that first year you moved back in with your parents, you're not making very much money. The emotional aspect of it is really hard to talk about as a business owner because you want to feel like you have it all together or seem like you have it all together. I know when I was going through like the three months of putting all of the business stuff together when I was trying to work on the studio, I was so scared to even come on my podcast, which is all about vulnerability and be vulnerable because I'm like, I want people to take it seriously. So for you, how have you worked through that? I don't think anyone has it all together. That's what I'll say first and foremost. And if you think you have it all together, you're not innovating. And then you're not going to have it all together soon. It's waves. Yeah, it's such a wave. And I still don't have it all together. I still have so far to go. I think it's just been kind of what we said as community, believing in yourself, 
taking proper mental health check-ins. And it's hard. It's hard to really sit there and be like, I have it in me, especially in slower seasons. Like the summer months are always slower for me. And I think that's been really hard to navigate where I've seen now over five years every summer. That's amazing. The when it gets slower, I freak out every year. And I'm like, you think I'd learn by Why now? Why is it slower? Um, I don't know. I think everyone's on vacation and then it picks up and then December, November are nuts for my business. So I have people coming in left and right and it happens every single year and you'd think I'd learn and then I'm not prepared for it. So yeah. it's knowing that there's seasons and knowing that it's going to be an ebb and flow and to have patience to walk through those. And that only comes with time. I think my mental health with my business has gotten a lot healthier with time because I've mm -hmm. seen, I've gotten through it time and time again. It's so funny that you're talking about the seasons because I hear like my friends who work at really big corporate agencies, always talking about busy season. Mm -hmm. Right now it's busy season. I have so much going on. But you don't think about it when it comes to something that you're creating for yourself that there are going to be seasons. How do you prepare yourself? Or you say that every year it comes up and you're like, I haven't prepared myself. If you were to prepare yourself for those seasons, would that be a mental check-in? Or does that go into like financially that you're saving? Well, I'm actually going to take it a different route. I've learned to utilize the slower seasons in a different way. So what I start to do is let's look at if I need to build a rebrand. Let's look at refreshing our website. Let's do some of the things that we've been putting off when you don't so have time. much when you don't have time and really honing in on those versus freaking out. Like, let's build our brand. I've done a lot of work during this summer months to get our TikTok up and running and be really good. I'm like, I do TikToks for brands. I need my own TikTok to be good. So that's something that I've been working on is trying to utilize that time and not be freaking out and be like, oh, I'm excited because I can work on some of the things that I've been putting off or, you know what, I think this rest is really healthy for me because then I can go into this busier season even better. I, I love the way that you utilize it. So you started it five years ago. I'm, I'm sorry, I was thinking about this when you were talking. Started it five years ago and how many employees do you have now? I have all part-time employees, but okay. I think it's, so it's me, and then I have my project coordinator, Sarah, who's our longest standing employee. I think she's worked with us for four years. I have Mallory, our executive assistant. She's on maternity leave right now, babies. Um, and then cute. Cameron, who's our prop stylist and creative director. Adriana, my creative assistant, intern. Intern's name is Abby. And then Danny, our videographer. So I think seven. that's seven, including me. No, and not including, not including you. So that's super that's crazy. Super exciting. And I just brought on a graphic designer. So I'm really excited about her. So during the slow season, you're working with this group of people to really work on the growth outside of the client facing work. Yes. You're going to do the internal growth that needs to be done, the internal work that needs to be done so that when busy season comes, you're presenting your brand in the way that you want to present it. Exactly. So I'm actually going through a rebrand right now. So I reached out to a design agency. I'm working on that. Refresh of our website. Hopefully after that, I'm doing paid advertisements. So it's a time I brought out my videographer and we worked on some paid ads. And that's stuff I wouldn't have time to do probably next month when yeah. I have more client bookings. Because it's amazing the time that this kind of stuff actually does take. It takes a bit. Yeah. It takes a lot. 
to, well, especially, I mean, a rebrand is going to take forever. Of course, you know that, but even like the ad campaigns Mm -hmm. takes a long time. So when you're looking for new clients, are you finding them through ad campaigns? Are you getting them through word of the mouth? What does it look like now for you, you to retain new clients? It's a difficult question. I get a lot of word of mouth. We do Instagram reach outs. So I have Sarah like basically scoping and our interns scoping people on Instagram, people we think are like-minded and they'll send messages. And we used to do cold emails. Those don't always work out. You find that word of mouth and we used to go to trade shows. I need to start like looking to get back into it, but you get to meet a founder face to face. It is awesome. That is so smart. And when people meet you and they're able to see you, they like you, they like you. And then they're like, oh, I want to work with someone like minded to me. Yeah. And I found you have to be talented, obviously, but people want to work with like minded people. People want to work with people they like and they want to be around. And so sometimes I'll get the job over someone who could be more creatively talented because I'm more like minded because I've met the founder and they really like like me because I'm super personable and I actually genuinely care about these clients and growing with them. I'm very flexible. So I think who you are matters just as much as what you bring creatively to the table. Definitely. I always say with my dad, my dad is the CEO of the Self-Storage Association. And I always say he got to that position. Not, I mean, obviously he's an incredibly hard worker, good at what he does, but it's the relationships that he built on his way up that yes. got him to the position that he was in. Like when, when I was born, he went to go get himself a pizza and his, his check bounced mm-hmm. and it was like an $8 pizza. And now he's a CEO. And it's because he was able to have these conversations with people who really liked him and believed in him and wanted to have him around and taught story. him. And he put in the work. So many people that I talk to on here It's the relationships that you build that really define what your success is going to look like. 100%. How did you niche yourself into food and beverage? It started with Alfred. It started with, I love food and I loved coffee. And so I just started with beverage and I had a lot of people be like, we want to be Alfred. We want to be Alfred when they were in their height. And so I kind of branched off into food and beverage because that's what I knew. And I knew brand, even though Alfred is a coffee shop, it's so highly branded and their A logo is so well known that I would consider it very similar to photographing for a brand versus photographing for a coffee shop. So I fell into it that way. I started getting into, I think I shot for coconuts. In the beginning, I think that was one of my first other gigs. And then I started to branch out from there and I taught myself everything. And now I do some other stuff. Like I photograph, I really like sports equipment right now. Any you type work with of, daily drills. I work with, yeah, daily drills, Reese's Pickleball, lifestyle-esque brands have been really fun for me. And a little bit of fashion. I get a little weary with fashion because I don't really pay that well, but a little bit of fashion. And then Consumer goods like skincare, I've been dabbling in as well, which skincare is its own world. So I'm kind of tiptoeing into that one, but there's a lot of different things you don't think about. Like you need photos for, I did deodorant once. Like you, <laughs> deodorant needs photos too. Yeah. You know? So where does the creativity for something like that come from? 
I actually really love when clients give me really specific guidelines or things that they want because I think creativity works best within boundaries because if you're given something and you have no direction, you could go anywhere and you're going to be just overwhelmed by choices. So I usually have a client fill out an extensive questionnaire and then I go from there. Basically, like I go by what their kind of needs are for their campaigns. That's smart. Yeah, because they're going to have their own vision of what they want it to be. And if you don't get that vision from them, then you're going to go off with your own vision. Yes. And that kind of goes into our name, which Meraki means to put your heart and soul into your work. And narrative is brand stories. So we put our heart and soul into telling their brand brand stories. So it's very focused on the client. I've heard about so many agency freelance workers, creatives, specifically working with brands and having bad experiences, not getting paid, getting paid late. I'm sure that you have experienced this. Oh, yeah. After five years of doing it. How do you handle a situation like that? I say get the best contract you can. Get a contract lawyer. It's worth your money. And then from there, regardless of how good your contract is, they still won't pay you sometimes. And so I have a brand. I won't say their name, but they owed me, I think, close to like $6,000 recently. And you always stay positive. Never be nasty. Always be kind. Like, I want to leave with a positive taste in everyone's mouth. I want to kill them with kindness. And obviously, you have to be firm in some way. Say, hey, we're a small business. Every single like dollar goes to our employees and every single dollar matters. I'd really like if we could, you know, revisit the payment. Have you checked in on it? But never be unkind. And I just bothered them for probably four months until they finally paid me this month. But I think if I was nasty, they probably wouldn't pay me. And it's probably so hard in a situation like that to stay calm, cool, collected, nice. Yes, it is. Therapy. Therapy, yes. <laughs> I think that with all things, though, yeah. like there's a lot of clients that haven't liked my work or have asked for really ridiculous things. That's hard. And you just have to take a step back and be like, the way that I'm portrayed to this person is going to matter in a very small industry. And you just want to leave with a good taste in everyone's mouth, even if they didn't like everything. I was never mean. I was never unkind. I was never nasty. I don't want anyone to have a bad taste in their mouth after interacting with me as a person. If you don't like my work, that's one thing. But I always want to just leave and end with kindness. So if someone doesn't like your work, do you offer to shoot again? Yes, I do. Only to a certain point. It depends on if it's my mistake or if it's their mistake. It gets kind of iffy with creative. But if I made a mistake, like I example, I didn't include one of their products that they clearly said they wanted included. But most of the time I do reshoot for clients for sometimes a small fee, like a prop fee or something. But it's been interesting. I think one thing I've learned is you got to find your people Mm -hmm. and it's like art. Not everyone's going to like it, but then you'll find your people that do. And not all artists are people's styles. And so I've learned to take it a lot less personally. Ray used to not tell me when clients didn't like it. She used to like try to hide it from me. 
Did and she now, think you couldn't handle it? She she didn't think I couldn't handle it, but I think she was trying to be protective of my heart, which is kind. And she always sugarcoated it to me, which I do appreciate now because I think I would have taken a lot harder then than I yeah, do now. Yeah, when you were just getting started out. Yeah. that There you go. That's why you find your people. Yes. And you have a partner that you know you can trust and who has your back. Yes, 100%. She has always had my back. Because that probably kept your confidence alive. Yes, it did. And then she'd be like, I think it's amazing. I don't know what they're talking about or just very kind. Yeah. So we have kind of talked about mental health Mm -hmm. and entrepreneurship a little bit, but I think that that's a really important conversation that you really care about. Mm -hmm. So I want to give you the opportunity to talk about that in the way that you feel like is raw and what you need to get out about that Mm -hmm. and how you feel like you can help people who are dealing with that. Yeah. I think mental health is so important. I think everyone should go to therapy at least once in their life. I think therapy is like dating. You need to date your therapist and find the right one for you. I don't think medication should be something to be ashamed of just after my experience with it. I don't think you need to stay on it for your whole life. There are some cases where you do, and I don't think there needs to be any shame around medication. I hope and wish it was talked about more. I've had some really intimate conversations about medication with some of my friends, and I think someone had a conversation with me, someone I really trusted, and I've been able to have that conversation with a lot of people. So if I can have this conversation over a podcast, don't be ashamed if you're considering medication, and so many people are on it if you that you don't know are on it. Yeah. Some of the people I've met who I value so much have opened up to me because I'm so open about it that they're on it and I would never know. Never know. And I don't think anything's wrong with that. Yeah. I just think always be growing and learning, always be checking in and don't Checking be in is important. Like yeah. if, especially with your friends who look like they have it all together mm-hmm. because that's a lot to have to shoulder. Yes. Trying to look like you have it all together at all times. It's definitely a lot. And also knowing like when you can handle other people's, like if you're going through shit, sometimes you can't handle other people's burdens and being able to be able to communicate that well and be like, hey, I'm not in a mental place to handle this right now. Those boundaries are hard. Boundaries are so hard. I am honestly need to work on them a lot. We all need to work on boundaries better. You could have a whole podcast about boundaries. Honestly, <laughs> good idea. I don't think I've done that. Yeah, I've, I've had a few. I did, idea. I did interview a therapist and we talked a little bit about, about boundaries, but it was not the full conversation. But boundaries for everything. Boundaries for, I mean, that's one that I really had to do. It was like boundaries within my family about them all coming to me mm-hmm. about all their shit. And I'm like, I'm too close to the situation. This is just hurting me. I can't fix everyone's problem. But also to be able to speak up when you're struggling yourself and say, I love you and I want to help you, but I'm struggling too. Yes. Yeah. And not being ashamed to say that. What's hard for me is I can set the boundary, but I won't keep the boundary. Yeah. Keeping the boundary is hard too. Yeah. Yeah. Continuing that conversation. Mm -hmm. Holding strong to it. Yeah. Is there any conversation that you had with your therapist or any consistent thing that you've had to work on with your therapist throughout the years of running your own business? I know my internal narrative monologue that is my trigger is that I'm not enough. 
Uh, It stems from childhood, like all things do. And I think sometimes I'll overcompensate. Like you're like, do you do reshoots? I'm like, yeah, 100%. But sometimes I should stand for myself and be like, no, my work was enough. Yeah. I did what you asked me to do. This is unfair to me. And I think I, that was something Ray was really good at was standing up for me in those moments and something I'm learning and growing to stand up for myself more and just meditating on the fact that I am enough in all aspects as a friend. I think in my relationships is where it shows up the most, whether I'm doing enough in my friendships, relationships. You're running a business and you're starting hot girl golf and you have to keep your friendships alive and you have a new relationship and you have to focus on your boyfriend. Like that's a lot for one person to have to manage. It's definitely a lot. I saw an interview with, I think it was a famous writer. Yeah. And they were like, how do you do it? I think maybe Shonda Rhimes. She was like, how do you do it? She goes, I don't. She's like, sometimes when I'm being a really good writer, I'm a really shitty mom. And sometimes when I'm a really amazing wrong mom, I feel like I'm not that great of a writer. And I was like, damn. That's powerful. Having grace for ourselves to know that you're not going to have it all together and you're not, you can't do it all. Yeah. You can, when you're focusing on one thing, you say no to another. I've had to think about that a lot. Something I think about is the hardest thing in life is choosing what's best over what's good. And there are so many good things in our lives, but what's actually best for us and most important And it stings so badly to say no to the things that are actually good. They're great for our lives, but are they what's best for us? So I think about that a lot. And I'm doing all those things, but you have to find the priority too of what's most important to you. Hot Girl Golf is this awesome club that you've started here in Austin and I know that people have been reaching out to you wanting to bring it to other cities. So I want to talk about what your goals are for it, how it came to life, what it is, and what it's like to create a passion project and not really expect anything from it. Because when we talked about that, that was like such a shift, such a pivotal moment for me of like, shit, you can do something that you love and not expect anything from it other than the joy you get from it. Yeah. I think I try to make everything into monetary value. And I'm like, let's not do that with this. You yeah. know, let's just try to have I asked one you that. I was like, passion. how are you monetizing it? Yeah. And I'm actually trying to not, at least for the first year, because I try to monetize all my passions. It's not a problem, but it's something for this first year. I just want to kind of build into it. And Hawkeye Golf, people don't even know what it is. It's a golf club for women in Austin, Texas, I think golf is a very intimidating sport. A lot of other women have agreed. Yes. And I basically just want a space that's safe for women to come and not know anything and learn how to play, not feeling like they have to wear a certain outfit or that it's extremely expensive or they don't have clubs. I try to just break down the barrier to entry. I want it to be a good time. I feel like golf is such a cute sport. First of all, like golf Horses are beautiful. Yeah. And girls love aesthetic, beautiful things. Yeah. And golf outfits can be super fun and cute. And everyone wants to dress up in a cute outfit. So I've just kind of tried to capitalize on the community of it. Being empowered to learn a skill that is a sport that you can do your whole life. 
you know, there's a lot of other sports that you can't. And it's such a boys club and empowering women to be like, no, like we can definitely go out and play and not be intimidated and have our girls. And so I know it's something I needed. And so I just basically built the community. And I also just moved to Austin. So I want girlfriends. And I was like, this is a really cute way to make some new friends, meet some new people that I would never normally met. Yeah. I feel like also golf is like when you do go golfing as a female, it's like you can't actually play because you're too slow. I can think of some times where I've wanted to go golfing with some guys Mm -hmm. and they're like, no, we don't want you to come today because we don't want to be held up or we don't want the people behind us. It's too busy. People behind us shouldn't get held up. And it's like, this is a space for women to come and not feel that pressure. Yeah. And still like, it's a fun place to go talk to your friends Mm -hmm. and like everyone knows the the narrative behind golf is where business deals get done, mm-hmm. you know? So why are women excluded from... It's awful. Yeah. Like, it's just so, so annoying to me. Yeah. I definitely agree. And I've heard there was a girlfriend that I've met through Hot Girl Golf who played in college and all of her guy friends would go play golf. And she had to sit them down and be like, you guys have never asked me to play. And I played in college. And you guys never once thought to ask if I wanted to play. And yeah. I was like, shoot. Yeah, like, it's gross. Not good. Not yeah. a good look. And it was people from her work and just now oh they invited her. Oh my gosh, it was work. people from work. It was work. It was not good. And that's where they were like doing business deals and, and stuff. She and she wasn't was, a part of it. Yeah. And she's like, I literally played golf in college. I'm actually good. Yeah. And, I'm just, and you don't even give me the opportunity. Yeah. Just sad. But Back to what you said, that's something my dad said when I was going to first start it. And he's super supportive of it now. But he was like, you guys are going to hold up the course. I was like, let them go ahead. I It was my dad, I think, who has said that to me before. Yeah. Like, not today because it's going to hold up the course. And they can pass you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, not something that fine. I. Yeah. It, 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 I think that it's a narrative that is so deep within our culture mm-hmm. that I don't want to shame anyone for saying that, but like be a part of the change and recognize mm-hmm. that we're not there anymore. Yeah. I totally agree. So that's kind of what I built it around and it's been so fun. Yeah. What has the feedback looked like? I think everyone's really liked it. I'm yeah. still learning about throwing events and stuff because it's some of the first events I've thrown. But yeah, it's been really fun. We had a putting clinic recently. I'm really working on trying to get not only meetups, but actually teaching people how to play and getting instructors. So I think it's been really great. And I've only seen like more and more people want to support it. So I know like Fairways Cantina is sponsoring the next one, which is oh, how hot cool. ghost golf that we're doing on October 27th. And then the next one, uh, Rock Golf is going to sponsor it. And they're a innovative golf. What is it? Like a shop. And so basically you go to like a virtual course. Oh, fun. And it's kind of like a top golf type thing, but they're going to sponsor the whole place for free. So people have been really supportive and getting drink sponsors. And I've been learning a lot about outside of things, which has been really fun. That is so fun. I eventually want to start a tournament and everyone's been really excited about helping out and making it happen. So it's been cool. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. If you are in Austin and you're looking for something to do to stay active, meet some girls and 
you just want to get out. It It's a really fun time. The girls that show up are really sweet. And Eleanor is the best. So welcoming. So where do you want Hot Girl Golf to go? Where do you see it in the future? I just definitely want to build more of a community. I mean, in a dream world. I don't know if you've seen Girl Swirl, which is a all-girl gang skateboarding club. I'd How love fun. for it to become more like that where having like different cities have it and being able to do big meetups like that'd be awesome. I also want to throw a tournament. So all the money from the tournament goes back to charity. Tournament's going to be big. It's going to be fun. So I want people to fly out for it. Like I want it to be a big thing, but baby steps. Do you know (laughs) what charity you want to work with? Something that probably provides girls with golf clubs or honestly just gives back to the club. Like we need, you know, clubs or different things. I think golf's a very expensive sport. I thought about the money going towards like girls who can't afford to play to play. So like having a certain amount of sponsorships from the money that people paid to play. I'm toying around with it. I also don't want it to be crazy expensive to play. So I'm just kind of figuring it out, but I definitely want a tournament. And that's something that is so cool that you've done since the very beginning is not wanting it to be expensive. Yeah. For the girls who are trying to learn to play. And all of the the money right now is going towards like running the balls, running the yeah. the golf. No clubs. money goes towards HGG at all. Yeah. The only money I'm starting to sell hats and They're just so to cute. kind of pay for some small expenses that I'm doing. So I'm not out of pocket of a bunch of stuff, but also it's just been fun. I've never made merch before, so it's been cute. So what has the process of starting a club like this looked like? Because you moved to Austin, you knew some people, but like virtually no one. You didn't have a ton of connections in Austin when you came here. Yeah. And it's amazing the amount of girls who show up. And these are girls that you didn't know. I came in with the attitude because you have to kind of just came in really confident. And I think that really helped me and meeting people, getting connections, going into it and just saying, hey, I'm starting this or and just going for it. And also a lot of my friends showed up for the first one, which was so kind. You've done awesome. And like I said, you truly you truly are an inspiration. One thing before we go that I forgot to ask you about when we were talking about the businesses is that and, and photography is that you have an eye, yes, but you also love a trend. Oh, yeah. I do love a trend. I was just thinking about this while we were talking. And I feel like a lot, like trends have a negative connotation to them, or at least I've talked to some people who like really hate the idea of a trend. And you're so open about loving trends. Mm-hmm. And I love that about you. I love an opinion because some trends I'm not in on and yeah. some I am. And I've been really working on trying to figure out like which trends are actually in my personal style and which are not. I love exploring. I love creativity. I love trying something and it not working. I love trying something and it works. Even with trends within photography and the work that you do and making things that the the art piece stand out uniquely while also still being current. I love staying consistent to myself within a boundary. So I think a trend is some sort of a boundary. So I can take a TikTok trend and I can be like, how is this me? How does this work for me? How does it? So you really need to stay true to yourself. You cannot be a trend. You need to know who you are. 
I even did that like fashion three. See, this is the trend that happened. There's like the fashion. What are your three words? So I stay true to my three words, but then how can I use that foundation in everything I do? So I love it. It might be like, I'm just going to pull an example for fashion, but that mock necks are in mock neck sweaters or whatever. Yeah. I'll get an oversized one because oversized or and sporty because I'm very oversized and sporty in my style versus someone might do something a little more girly or pink. So I think you just need to find what works for you within those trends and its ability to get very creative and niche in your content in a really cool way. I love the idea of following a trend while also still making it unique. So thank you for coming on. I've been wanting to do this since I met you. And now that I'm like really buttoning down and focusing on the podcast again, it just felt like such a natural next interview. So thank you. And I love you. Yay. Thank you guys for listening. 